0: Well, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and it's good to see all of you here on this wonderful uh, Sunday morning to come into the presence of God, hear the word, and then worship God passionately. That's what we're about. This uh, this morning's message, we're in the middle of this series on uh, uh, Beyond Belief, Moving Beyond Belief, Beyond Mere Believism into the Reality of the Kingdom. And uh, we're carving it, of course, out of the book of Luke, as we're going through the, the book of Luke. So we're into Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be starting with verse 37. We're entitling this message, Inside Out, because it's about transformation from the inside out. Uh, I appreciate Dwayne speaking last week. He's making me look really bad by giving these nice short sermons. I can't k- compete with that. Forget about it. But uh, the message that we're having this morning really builds on last week's message, The punchline of last week's message is found in verse 35 of Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. It's about having light within you. And uh, uh, you see according to the light that is within you. And then Luke connects this piece of the narrative with that teaching, and we're starting in verse 37. And Luke says this. When Jesus had finished speaking... A Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So, Jesus, who was willing to go anywhere with anyone, he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now, we might think that's no big deal. You know, you're just supposed to eat a little high hygiene here and take care of germs. They didn't know about germs in the first century, that's not why they washed. Uh, for, for, for Jews, at least, this had a religious significance to it. There was a rule about this. Uh, it was called a ceremonial washing, and you had to wash the cup uh, and whatever utensils you were going to use and wash your hands. And that was a way of consecrating them to God. It was the, the way most of us say grace before we eat our meal. It's a way of thanking God for our meal and consecrating the conversation to God. Well, this was just sort of a rule that you were supposed to do. And Jesus knew that, but he intentionally doesn't do it to provoke a discussion, to make a point. And it's building on the point that we saw last week Jesus making about having light within you. So then the Lord says this. Seeing that this guy is surprised, he says, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Great little supper discussion going on here. Did not the one who made the outside also make the inside? Yes, God made the outside, so don't ignore that. But God made the inside as well, and don't ignore that. But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. What an interesting statement. We're going to unpack this here. Pray with me here for a moment. Father, I pray for everybody in this auditorium and everybody who is listening through podcast. And I pray, God, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears and our spirits, our innermost being, to receive your word. Build your kingdom in our life. Confront us, convict us if need be. Transform us. We have no trust in words or in eloquent speech or in human wisdom. But, God, we trust that you can take the words that come out of anyone's mouth, and use them to further your kingdom, infuse them with your authority to further your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you help me stay present, aware of your your presence as I'm speaking, and to be surrendered to you on a moment-by-moment basis, that your will might be done in this place and through the podcast as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. The question here that we're dealing with is is simply this, how, how do you get clean? How do you get clean on the inside? Or to build on last week's metaphor, how do you get light on the inside? How do you become a person who's got light on the inside? It's a huge issue. It's a huge issue because probably all of us would agree that we're not quite as clean on the inside as we look on the outside. There may be a few people who have really just crashed and burned recently and they look as bad as they are. And there may be a few people who are just that righteous that they look as good as they are. But most of us, let's be honest, our outside looks a little better than what's going on on the inside. If someone were to invent a machine that they could put sort of electrodes on your head and monitor all your brain activity and translate it into a screen... And show a video uh, of of what you're thinking and put it on Times Square, that big video on Times Square. So the whole world could see exactly what you're thinking. Most of us would decline the offer to wear that machine. (laughs) Inside of us, the world would see. Uh, The world would see right into our soul and they'd see that uh, we have... Sometimes, at least, animosity, anger, hatred, uh, thoughts, violent thoughts, wishing sometimes people dead, uh, sometimes perverse thoughts, perverse fantasies that we give inside. Would your spouse want to watch that screen on TV Square? Uh, I mean, on, on, on Times Square? Um, you know, there's things that go on in our life. If we're honest with ourselves, we're far more egocentric, far less spiritual than, than we let on in terms of our outside behavior, if we're honest with ourselves. So the question is this how do we really get clean on the inside how do we get light on the inside and i want to talk about two wrong strategies and then i'm going to talk about a kingdom strategy which is really not a strategy at all it's more of a reality the first wrong strategy for getting clean on the inside is the one that jesus is explicitly addressing in this passage it's the religious strategy it's the pharisees strategy it's a performance strategy. And the, stru- the strategy is simply focus on external things and just trust that if you do the external things, you are clean on the inside. This is sort of a Pharisee mindset. It's a legalistic mindset. It's a performance mindset. It's a, the mindset of, ex- uh, of externally focused religion. If I just wash the cup right and wash the dishes right and wash my hands right like I'm supposed to, well, then I'm right with God. And now I'm okay. Now I'm clean. And that mindset has a million different varieties to it, and it lasts still to this day. In a lot of religious circles, you're taught that if, if you just do the rules, you're going to be okay. If, if, the way to get right with God... And the Ready to get loved by God, and the right way, way to be saved is you just do the behaviors. If you just tithe, well, then you're going to be okay. If you just go to church a certain amount, well, then you're going to be okay. If you just win two people to the Lord every year, well, then you're going to be okay. If you just stay away from R-rated movies and don't drink and don't dance and don't smoke, well, then you're going to be okay. Uh, you know, it, it, just give me the list—the list of to-dos and the list of don'ts—and if I just do that behavior, well, then then, then, I'm, then I can trust that I'm clean. Or in some areas, it's more about doctrine. If you just believe the right things, well, then you can know that you're okay. The church that I was saved in, you know, it was really important that, that, that you had the right doctrine, and, and that was about being baptized the right way, and hardly anyone was baptized the right way. And if you're not baptized the right way, well, then, then you're unclean, and, and then you're, you're not saved. But if you're baptized the right way with the right words said over you, well, then you're clean and saved. And, you, and, and so it's about the right doctrine. If you, if you just speak in tongues and if you have the right eschatology and the right view of inspiration and the right interpretation of Genesis 1 and, and you cross all the T's and dot all the I's and just the way we tell you to, to leave what I tell you to, well then you can know that you're going to heaven and you're clean and you're right with God. It's the religion of, of, uh, of, uh, of performance, of legalism, external focus. And see, that, that kind of thinking has been very popular throughout time because it's got some advantages to it. For one thing, it makes you feel secure. I mean, it's so doable, it's tangible. A good percentage of people live in fear. And they're just asking the question, tell me what to do. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to believe? Just put it down on paper, and if I can just do this, I'm gonna be okay. And it's so tangible, it's so doable. It's so concrete. And and we tend to like that. And so legalistic performance-based religion is, is, is very tangible, it gives people security it also has this advantage if i really believe that if i believe that if i just do the do's and don't do the don'ts and believe the right things well that means i don't have to worry about all that crusty stuff inside of me all that nasty stuff inside of me i don't have to go deep with this i just have to do this stuff and believe the right stuff and and then i'm going to be okay and so it, it affords me the opportunity to not have to worry about that that's why as some of us know maybe a lot of us know from past experience If you're in these sorts of religious circles that put a premium on the externals, you got a lot of people who feel really righteous for doing the externals and believing the right stuff, but inside they can be full of all sorts of junk, but they don't even notice it. All sorts of judgment and gossip and bitterness and hatred, maybe racism, but they don't even notice it because they're conditioned not to look at that. They're conditioned to look at external stuff. In fact, the people who tend to succeed in those sorts of religious systems and usually rise to leadership are those who tend to be the most shallow and least prone to introspection in the first place. Because if you tend to be an introspective person, well, you see through the facade pretty easily of the external religion. But it's a popular way of doing things. It has been throughout throughout history. Now, there's several problems with this focus, the Pharisee focus on externals. Problem number one is this. The... Behavior-focused religion presupposes a behavioralistic God, a a very sub-Christian view of God, A, a view of God who's more interested in the rightness of your beliefs and the rightness of your behavior than he is in you. This God, the behavioristic God, the God of religion, is a God who, if you have the right behavior attached to you and the right beliefs attached to you, well, then you're in. But if you have the wrong behaviors attached to you and the wrong beliefs uh, attached to you, well, then you're out. This is a God who relates to you uh, and, and loves you, conditioned upon the rightness of your beliefs and the rightness of your behavior. And I submit to you that if Christ is the center of your thinking about God, you'll see that that view of God just is not adequate. All of our thinking about God is to be centered on on Jesus Christ, uh, perfectly expressed on the cross. Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. And Jesus just didn't base how he related to people on on the rightness of their beliefs and the rightness of their behavior. In fact, he tended to to turn away, or at least turn off, aggravate those who had all the right beliefs and the right behavior, and he tended to attract those who had the wrong beliefs and the wrong behavior. He didn't condition how he related to people based on what they were doing. Uh, you know, the, the Gospels tell us a story about when he was dying. There There's two thieves who were being crucified with him. And one of those thieves at the last minute had this change of heart and said, Lord, can I be with you today in paradise? And Jesus didn't turn to him and say, well, depends. <laughs> Do you smoke? <laughs> Think about it. What words were said over you when you were baptized, dude? <laughs> no, he didn't do that. You see, it was the, the heart, the heart disposition of a person. Even at this, this 11th hour of this guy's life, just before he dies, this turn of heart is what made him salvageable, and God's the kind of God who will salvage anything that, and anyone who can be salvaged. So, so the behavioralistic God. The God who conditions everything based on your behavior and the rightness of your beliefs is a sub-Christian view of God. A second problem with external-focused religion is this. It just doesn't minister life to anybody. It doesn't minister life to anybody. It doesn't doesn't bring you into the kingdom life. You can do all the right behaviors and believe all the quote-unquote right things, and even if you do that perfectly, which you're probably not going to do, but even if you do do it, you're going to feel empty. It doesn't bring a fullness of life. It doesn't bring the joy of the kingdom. It doesn't bring the peace of the kingdom. It doesn't bring the power of the kingdom. It leaves you empty. And the reason is this. You were created and I was created to experience unconditional love and unconditional worth and unconditional significance. Our innermost being needs to be loved and needs to feel significant and worthwhile in a way that only God can give. But see, if I am doing certain things and believing certain things to feel love, to feel worth, and to feel significant, then my innermost being knows that what is really loved and what is really worthwhile and what is really significant is not me, but the things I did and the things I believe to feel love, to feel worth, and to feel significant. Are you you seeing this? The worth and the love and the significance attaches to what I do to get it, not to me. The analogy I sometimes use is this. If you're in a performance-based, legalistic, externally-focused religion, then it's sort of like eating a meal, a seven-course meal that tastes so good, but all the food gets caught in your teeth. So you're like a a giant chipmunk with your cheeks all puffed out, but you just can't swallow any of it, and none of it gets to your stomach, so none of it nourishes you. When you do stuff, when your love and worth and significance is, is conditioned upon what you do and, and the particulars of what you believe, then all the worth and significance attaches to what you do to get it, and none of it gets to where, you, where it needs to get, which is in your innermost being. Which is why uh, it always leaves you empty. It always leaves you empty. But as long as you're under the delusion that the way to get worth, love, and significance is by doing certain things and by believing the right things, well then you'll keep on trying to do it better and do it more and believe it better and believe it more because you keep thinking that if only you get it right, well then you're going to feel full significant, and it never, it never pays off. So the performance-based external religion of the Pharisees, it doesn't minister life and it has a sub-Christian view of God. And a third thing. Because it never gets to the innermost being of a person, it never truly transforms a person. External religion conceals, listen to this now, it conceals wounds and it conceals sin, but it can never heal wounds and can never eradicate sin. In fact, as many of us know from experience, externally focused religion, if anything, will tend to aggravate wounds and aggravate sin. Think of it like this. If you're in a religious system that gives points, you get points for how you look, the rightness of your behavior, then you are by definition in a religious system that gives you points for hiding all your wounds and all your sin. And so the people who succeed best in religious systems that are externally focused are those who are best at hiding, those who are best at faking it. It rewards people who hide the best. And when wounds are concealed and they're not brought out of the closet, and when sin is concealed and not brought out of the closet, they tend to fester. They tend to get worse. And they come out in sick, dysfunctional ways. But if you're really good at the religious system, you just find better ways of hiding it. This is why if, if, if you're able to Peel back a little bit of the thin veneer of religiosity, of legalistic, performance-based, externally focused religion. You will find a lot of people who are profoundly sick and profoundly in bondage to all sorts of sins. It's just beneath the surface. There's all sorts of no-talk rules. You don't notice these things. You don't talk about these things because we are the people of God and we are holy and righteous, right? Right? And so everybody's hiding it, and everybody feels like they're the only ones who have these perversions in their heart and this wickedness and judgment in their their soul and things of that sort. But everyone goes along in secrecy, keep on hiding it, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. It doesn't transform a person from the inside out. So how do you get clean on the inside? It's not the Pharisees' way. It's not by focusing on externals. It's not by making sure that you wash the cup just right and wash the dishes right and wash your hands just right. That focus will minister death to you. That will just intensify the dirtiness on the inside. It will not make you clean. So, an external focus is not the right solution. But secondly, ignoring externals is not a solution either. Having no concern for the cup and the dish and the hands is also not a solution. Now, follow me on this. I I, I say this because there are some people who get freed from the legalistic pharisaical external focused performance religion thing they get freed from that which is good but then they go to an opposite extreme and some of these folks can can think this way uh since i'm saved by grace and they have a total misunderstanding of grace but since i'm saved by grace it doesn't matter whether i wash the cup and the plate in my hands it doesn't matter whether i do anything externally i'm saved by grace i'm loved as i am and therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. Since God's love for me isn't conditioned on what I do, then it doesn't matter what I do. I'm okay no matter what I do. Sometimes they, they put it like this. You know, grace means God looks at me through Jesus' spectacles, so he doesn't see my sin. And so I can do pretty much anything I want and I just trust that God looks at me through Jesus' spectacles and he doesn't see my sins. So it doesn't matter that I don't care about the poor at all and that I spend 98% of my income on myself like every other pagan American. That doesn't matter because God looks at me through Jesus' spectacles and I can trust that I'm clean without any concern for my external behavior whatsoever doesn't matter the fact that I, I really don't seek after God, I don't pan after God, I don't care about his word. doesn't matter that I don't get convicted about anything, really. Uh, I just do pretty much what I please. It doesn't matter that I sleep around when I want to sleep around. that doesn't matter because God looks at me through Jesus' spectacles and I can trust that I'm clean without any concern for external behavior whatsoever. I'm saved by quote-unquote grace. And I have met, in fact, here at Woodland Hills Church several who have left their spouses and gone off with somebody else, left their kids to go move in with somebody else. And they do it in the name of grace. And when someone tries, brother or sister tries to confront that, saying this is grievous to God, this is sin and this is of the devil, the response is, oh, you can't judge me because I'm under grace. God looks at me through Jesus' spectacles. And I want to say, I mean, I, I, I can't communicate how that thinking grieves my heart and how aggravated it makes me. And I want to say that that is, a, that is a crock of biblical stupidity, which I could abbreviate as BS for short. Biblical stupidity. That is a bunch of BS. That's a I don't know how else to say it. I'm trying to express my anger in a godly way. But now you know what I mean when I say it's a bunch of BS. Look at it. Here's the thing, and I wrote this out so we get it down. The belief, the belief that getting clean on the inside has nothing to do with external behavior is as mistaken as the belief that you can get clean on the inside by focusing on external behavior. Both are equally wrong. Look at what Jesus says in Luke Luke 11, 41. We just read it. But now as for what is inside you, he says. Now he's talking about what's inside Be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Be generous to the poor. That's a behavior. So clearly Jesus isn't separating the inside from the outside. Clearly Jesus isn't recommending being apathetic about our external behavior. And this is what you find throughout the Gospels. You can't divorce the inside from the outside. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, a passage that we studied about four years ago. He says this, Now, no good tree... No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. You'll know the tree by the fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The point is this, folks. If you are truly a fig tree, you'll begin to, maybe slowly, but you'll begin to produce figs instead of thorns. If the kingdom of God is really beginning to take root in your heart, you're really becoming a kingdom person, you will begin to manifest evidences of that. It can't help but have some impact. On your behavior, on your attitudes, on the way that you do life. If the spirit of God really is residing within you, you will begin to manifest the fruit of the spirit. Yes, we go forward, we go backward, there's ambiguity there, but there'll be signs of life. If you're really alive to God, if the life of God really is in you, you really are a child of God, there's some signs of life. Just like if you're really alive biologically, there'll be some signs of life. Now, maybe you'll be profoundly sick. Maybe, you know, you won't be very much alive, but there will be something of a pulse. There will be a little bit of a breath. There'll be some brain activity. There'll be some signs of life. If there is no signs of life, all indications are that you, in fact, are dead. If you really are a fig tree, you bring forth kingdom fruit. It can't be any other way. The real transformation from the inside has implications for the outside. James says it as good as can be said. James chapter 2, a passage we need to pay a lot of attention to here in America James says if one of you says to the poor and hungry go in peace keep warm and be well fed but does nothing about their physical needs what good is it? In the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead. Now he's not saying that your action earns you points you get merit badges with God for your actions. But faith, if it's not manifested in action, it is a dead faith. And he goes on to say, You believe that there is one God? Good for you! Bravo! Even the demons believe that and shudder. This whole series is against believism, the idea that it's all about believing certain things. This, and, and we're trying to say we've got to go beyond believism and enter into the reality of the kingdom. And this is, this is folks, the definitive passage against believism, because what James is saying here is this. You can believe that there's just one God, that's wonderful, fine, and good, but if it doesn't have any implications for how you do life, well, then it does you no good. The demons believe that. In fact, the demons believe all the right theology. They know all the right theology. It doesn't do them a bit of good because it doesn't translate into a life that's transformed. You can believe all the right stuff in in the world, but if it doesn't translate into a changed life, it does you no good. It's worthless, it's dead. It has the same value as believing all the wrong things in the world. Try that on. You see, the, 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 the faith that is a genuine faith and ushers you into the life of the kingdom translates into a changed life. By definition, if you really believe it, you act on it. And if you're not acting on it, you don't really believe it. And the life of the kingdom is not there inside of you. Now, I want to be, I want to be really balanced here because I am anticipating that somebody in the audience Somebody on podcast. Somebody is thinking to themselves this. You've been trained by a performance-based external religion, so you process everything through that grid. And so what you might be thinking right now is this. Okay, okay. Uh, the pastor is, is, is telling me that, that, that w- the, the way to get okay is by being generous to the poor, because Jesus said that and James just said that. So, so I got the rule. Be generous to the poor, and that new external behavior is going to make me okay. If I just do that, then I'll be clean. Let's see, think about this. How is that thinking any different than if I only tithe, then I'll be clean. If I only witness to a certain amount of people every year, well then I'll be clean. If I only don't go to R-rated movies and don't smoke, well then I'll be clean. It's the same kind of thinking. The truth is this: you could be generous to the poor and still be full of wickedness. You can be generous to the poor and still be full of lust still be full of self-righteousness, still be full of pride, still be full of judgmentalism. In fact, I'll tell you, some of the most pharisaical people I've ever met have been people who have sold all their riches and moved in uh, to poor neighborhoods and entered into solidarity with the poor. And that's wonderful, and I applaud that. But then they turn around and judge everybody who didn't do what they just did. And they have this this cynicism about all those suburbanite churches, and they ought to be doing what we're doing. If they really care, then they do what what we're doing. And that's just pharisaism all over again. I like their behavior, but, but that mindset is just as wicked as any other kind of judgmentalism or, or pride or egocentric religion. You can't make yourself clean by focusing on the outside. It doesn't matter what that outside behavior is. Even if it's something as good as being generous to the poor, if you're doing that as a way of getting clean, it doesn't work. Nor can you believe yourself to be clean by ignoring the outside. That's simply death. Death. We're back to square one. Folks, how do we get ourselves clean on the inside? And now, for the grand revelation of this morning. <laughs> you can't. You can't make yourself clean on the inside. Whatever your focus is, if you're using it to get clean, it's not going to work. Whatever your focus isn't, if, you, if you're using it and believing that you're clean despite ignoring it, that's not going to work. And obsessing on your unclean thoughts isn't going to work. That tends to just to intensify them. The truth is, only God can truly make you clean. Think of it like this, folks. To bring forth figs instead of thorns, to stop being a thorn bush and start being a fig tree, you've got to be a fig tree, and only God can change a thorn bush into a fig tree. If you want to bear kingdom fruit... You've got to be part of the kingdom, and only God can make you a kingdom person. If you want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to have the Spirit of God residing in you, and only God can put his Spirit inside of you. If you want to display signs of life in the kingdom, you've got to really be alive in the kingdom, but only God can take a corpse like you and I when we are dead in sin, the Bible says, Ephesians 2.1, and only God can resurrect a corpse and breathe kingdom life into us. If you want to be clean, Jesus says, you've got to be born again, John chapter 3. But only God can give you new birth. Only God can give you a new heart. Only God can give you a new mind. Only God can give you a new spirit. Only God can give you a new destiny. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. Here's a passage that is in our our devotional booklet that we're going through uh, in this Great Adventure series. And I encourage you to be involved in that booklet. Uh, God's using it to impact some people. But here's a passage that we find in the Old Testament where God prophesies about this coming kingdom. And here's what he says. Ezekiel chapter 36. He says, I... We'll give you a new heart. You're not going to do that yourself. And I will put a new spirit in you. You can't do that yourself. I will remove from you your heart of stone. You can't do that yourself. And I will give you a new heart of flesh. You can't do that yourself. And I will put my spirit in you. We can't do that ourselves. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. Folks, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's what God can do in us and through us by his own sovereign, graceful, merciful hand. Only God can make us clean. Only God can renew us. That's why Paul says, speaking of the kingdom, he says, when, when you surrender to Jesus Christ, when you yield, that, that's the one thing you can do is yield. When you do that, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, because now you're, you're, you abide in Christ. When you are in Christ, when that's a reality, you're a, new crea- a new creation has come. Really a new creation. In the same way that God said, let there be light and there was, a, there was light and let there be land and there was land, he spoke the first creation into being, so also he speaks a new creation into being. He doesn't pretend that you're different and look at you with Jesus' spectacles as though, he, as though he's too ignorant to see what's really going on in your life. God doesn't pretend. When he declares you to be holy, he really makes you holy. When he declares you to be righteous, he really makes you righteous. When he declares you to be a new creation, you really are a new creation. The old has gone away, the new is here, Paul says. And now look at this. All of this, all of this is from God. Not your self-effort, not your you know, self-righteousness. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you, are, if you surrender to God, genuinely surrender, and not just once upon a time, but you're living a surrendered life on a moment-by-moment basis because life was always lived in the now, Life is a series of now, strung together. So the question is, are you surrendered now? But when you are surrendered, God makes you new. God makes you holy. God makes you clean. God makes you a new creation. God puts a new heart in you, a new essence in you. God gives you a new inheritance, and God gives you a new destiny. And our job and our only job is to yield to that, to say yes to that. We can't create it, but we can bend to it. We can submit to it. We can open ourselves up to it. And we're called to do that on a moment-by-moment basis. And when we do that, now God makes us into a fig tree that begins to to bear figs instead of thorns. Now God makes us the domain of his reign. So we start manifesting the kingdom. Now God puts us in Christ. So we start manifesting a Christ-like character. Now God makes us alive. So we start showing signs of life. When we yield to him and submit to him on a moment-by-moment basis, the life of God pulsates in us and we begin to manifest that. And as you'll find throughout the Bible, one of the first bullseyes that the life of God is beginning to pulsate in you is you begin to care about others. Specifically, you care about the poor, which is why Jesus holds this up as sort of the criteria. Evidence that you are being cleaned is that you begin to develop God's heart for others. You begin to get freed from your egocentricity. You begin to get freed from the self-focus. You begin to get freed from the life of the flesh with all of its self-centeredness, and you begin to have a heart and a concern and a care and a compassion for others as you yield to God. We don't care about the poor to get points with God because that's the external behavior that will make us clean. We don't do it because we're, we're trying to be more righteous than others. You start to care about the poor because that's who you truly are. You you begin to care about the poor because that's the kind of person God is making you to be. You don't bear figs to become a fig tree. You begin to bear figs because you are a fig tree. You don't adjust your behavior to get holy. Rather, you begin to adjust your behavior because you are holy. You don't start to do the works of a new creation in order to become a new creation, Rather, you start to do the works of a new creation because you are a new creation. God has changed you, given you a new heart, made you a new creature, has rebirthed you into the kingdom life. And what Jesus is really saying here in this passage, folks, is just this. Live in congruity with who you truly are. Be in the kingdom, submit to the kingdom. All of his teachings are about that. And now live in congruity with that. What he's saying in a nutshell is this. Don't drive a wedge between your inside and your outside. You can't drive a wedge between your inside and your outside. You can't separate those two things. Don't separate them by thinking that you can clean the inside by focusing on the outside. And don't separate them by thinking that you can be clean on the inside regardless of what you do on the outside. No, it's all part of one thing. And when you surrender to the kingdom, God changes you from the inside out and it it inevitably and necessarily is evidenced in your behavior. And the whole of the kingdom life is simply manifesting the truth of who God has made you to be in Jesus Christ. There's one more thing I want to say. That's a very important thing. The transformation, the mustard seed is planted in your soul and it works its way out. All right? All right a little leaven leavens the whole lump when God gets inside he begins to change you from the inside out but it's also the case that what you do on the outside as you yield as you live in congruity with the truth of who you are in Christ it reinforces your experience of the kingdom on the inside it works both ways the more you manifest on the outside the truth of who you are the more you're changed the more you experience change on the inside here's the thing A lot of people have genuinely surrendered their heart to Christ, and yet five years later, 50 years later, they're still struggling with the same old flesh stuff they were when they first surrendered their life to Christ. They have the same lies in their head, the same bondages, the same sentiments, the same attitudes. They're devoid of the joy, the devoid of the peace, and the power and the transformation of the kingdom. And part of what Jesus is getting at here is this. The way to grow in your kingdom-transforming experience is to not wait to first experience the change and then start doing stuff but rather start doing what you know is the right thing to do and that will help you begin to experience the truth of who you are are you following me on this the, the, the one of the best ways you can get out of the bondages in your life the lack of joy and peace in your life all the non-kingdom stuff in your life is, is not to just be sitting in your room obsessing on it and perseverating on it and, and, and fixating on it and trying to fix yourself and taking in, you know 10,000 self-help courses and reading 10,000 self-help books. I'm not against that at all. By all means do that. But one of the best things you can do to get free is to get your mind off of yourself and start being invested in other people and start doing the work of the kingdom. Start serving the poor. Start caring about the poor. Yes, when you care about the poor, you're manifesting the fact that you've been made clean. But when you care about the poor, it's also a way of getting clean. Some people just loathe or just sit around and live in this victim mindset about stuff that's been done to you. And I understand that. And maybe it was really horrendous. And that's bad. And God wants to heal you. But one of the best ways of getting healed is don't wait till you get healed before you start serving and becoming a kingdom activist. But rather, start being a kingdom activist and watch how it helps you get healed. It works both ways. Jesus really summed it all up when he said this. Seek his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. Make that first. Seek first his kingdom. Make that on a moment-by-moment basis. The, point, the, the purpose of every second of our life is to seek first the kingdom of God. And as we do that, everything else is added unto us. Everything else is a consequence of hitting this bullseye. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make God Surrender to God as king on a moment-by-moment basis in your life. And then do the works of the king on a moment-by-moment basis in your life, and all the benefits of the kingdom will begin to be accrued to you. But if you seek the benefits instead of the king and the kingdom, well, then it's not likely to come to you at all. How do you get clean? Well, you can't make yourself clean. What you can do is surrender and let God make you clean and then live in congruity with that. Yield to the king, yield to his will, and the benefits of the kingdom are there. So close your eyes for a moment. I want to ask the worship team to come back up. And there's two questions here. One, uh, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to us what we need to get from this message. Some here, perhaps, have been conditioned to have an external focus. And what you obsess on is washing the dish and the cup and hands right. Or believing the right thing. Or doing the right behavior. And that's not... It's good that you're concerned about those things. But to you, that's the way to get clean. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to set you free right now. Because there is, no king, there is no cleanness. There is no kingdom in that. There is no life in that. Only God, through the person of Jesus Christ, can give you the life that your heart longs for and thereby transform you. And so can you let go of all your religious stuff as a way of getting life and recognize that they're idols? turn from that and realize that you are made okay and made clean and made a kingdom person on the basis of one thing and one thing alone and that is what Jesus did for you on Calvary. Will you just receive that? There may be others here who have bought into the lie that you can believe that you're clean without any consideration of your external behavior. And will you let the Holy Spirit convict you if that is you? You've been trusting that somehow you're magically made clean even though you live your carnal life. You're not bearing the fruits of the kingdom. And none of us bear it perfectly. But are there signs of life in you? And if that is you and your heart is convicted, that's because the kingdom has a little seed in your heart. And what I'm asking you to do right now What God is asking you to do right now is to surrender to that and submit not just your private heart to God, but submit your lifestyle to God, your behavior to God, your attitudes to God, the particular things, so that you will now live a life committed to carrying out his will, which includes, as a central piece, caring about the poor. And maybe for you, the place to start is at the end of his service to stop by at the lift table and say, you know what, here's folks who are poor and I want to be invested in them that's what the king says we're supposed to be doing. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would now seal on our hearts what needs to be sealed, transform us, revolutionize us, kingdomize us, set us free from the lies we've believed, set us free from the strongholds that we've been under. Lord God, bend our hearts, bend our wills so we totally and completely submit to you, not in some private way, but, but Lord, we submit every area of our life. Uh, Our finances, our behavior, our attitude, all of it belongs to you because you are our king, you are our Lord, and we're cleaned, cleansed by you and by you alone. Cleanse us, Lord, inside, outside, upside down, every which way. Make us wholly yours. And now, Lord, as we go to continue to worship you and take up this offering, God, we do it as as an act of praise towards you. We submit our finances to you and we ask that you lead us and guide us in how you would have us steward these finances to further your kingdom, to serve the poor, and to do all the stuff that you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. other Name, no other name, no other name can cleanse you, no other name can transform you, empower you, motivate you, and we need to proclaim it. Proclaim it with our words, even more importantly, proclaim it with our life. That's what it's all about. Appreciate the worship team. I appreciate the fact, you know, these folks don't need to be in the limelight. They're okay being in the shadows as Christ is in the limelight. I appreciate it. Way, way to go, you guys. Just, I, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to close in prayer. And before I do that, I want to say that uh, if you're here and have any need whatsoever, I'd like to call the prayer teams to come forward. And if you would like to be prayed for, come forward. And these folks up here would just love to spend some time praying with you. Or you can just kneel at the altar and pray here. If if God's working on something in your life, if something that was said or something during the worship service just just hit you, don't don't leave without that being resolved. Come forward and, 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 and get the prayer that you need. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ which is a very different question than asking, do you believe in Jesus? If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you need to, and I encourage you to do that this morning before you leave. Come forward. These folks would love to explain to you what that's about and get you started in the kingdom walk. Amen. Amen. There's something else I wanted to say and I can't think of it. Maybe we'll come forward as I'm, as I'm praying here. Oh, senior moment. Okay. <laughs> Let's just close in prayer. The altar is open. Father, uh, we, we do just surrender to you and we ask you to remind us to surrender to you on a moment-by-moment basis because otherwise it's just theoretical. Uh, God, help us to walk with an awareness that you're always with us and you're always m- moving us. And uh, God helps to yield to that, to yield, to be surrendered to you in our behavior as well as in our hearts, as well as in every other area of our life. Use us, Lord God. God, I pray that whoever is supposed to be involved in the lift would right now just sense that and would stop and buy at the table and, and get plugged in in whatever area you want them to be plugged into, Lord God. Keep building your kingdom in us. Keep building your kingdom through us and be glorified in Jesus' name. And now I just remembered what I wanted to say to you. Um, I, I just got a testimony. Just, I, I had to do a little talking outside, while I, the first part of the worship set. And I got a testimony of a person who became convinced that they need to be a Christian instead of a Muslim because of friendly people in the gathering area. And, and, okay, you see, so all that is just, amen. That is just to say, let's do the kingdom here. Go out and meet people. You don't know what a difference a smile and a handshake and an introduction can make. And so spend a little time out there just fellowshipping, being friendly. Let the love of God flow. God bless you guys. Go build the kingdom.